0: welcome to the unplanned pause this is a podcast about two friends journey into the land of infertility i'm anne-marie
1: and i'm natasha
0: and we're both navigating our personal path to pregnancy and talking our way through it at the same time
1: so thanks everyone um, who listened to our first podcast uh, we've had some really nice feedback and it's great to hear from you all
0: Yeah, we've had some really nice feedback. It was a bit scary putting something so personal out there, but I'm glad we did it. Tash, how has your week been? Since we last spoke, the HFEA has announced that fertility clinics can open. um, Well, they can apply to reopen from the 11th of May.
1: So what does that mean for you? Oh man, I was so excited when I found that out. Um, I think that I can say collectively the community was just a lot more re-energized and it suddenly gave us something to focus on um, yeah. but in a way I really felt it was a little bit bittersweet because I felt like perhaps we were having a bit of a relax and time away from um, our fertility troubles uh, but it all did bring it back and suddenly I was thinking oh my goodness what are the things that we have to do what are the options now that we have and how do we make the next couple of weeks matter in terms of trying to decide whether we go public or private, uh, whether we move some of our frozen eggs to a private clinic, um, because some of the NHS is still overwhelmed with COVID patients. So it's been, um, it's definitely been a positive week. But I think that for those of us, well, for anybody who is in that clinic or anyone who's hoping to get into that clinic queue, there are so many unknowns still, and mm. it can be difficult to find out what is going on with your specific clinic.
0: And it's not just that clinic, you know. I think I yeah. I, I can tell from the forums that generally there's a there's a lot of unknown.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I did this thing where I put, um, I was, I'm on a popular forum, and I posted an update just saying, look, I'm really struggling with understanding, do I stick with my NHS clinic, where um, they've posted and said that we shouldn't expect an immediate reopen after the 11th of May, um, and that they're still very much treating COVID patients, uh, but they are looking to reapply. Mm. And do I stick with them and wait it out? And it's been a long, long wait with them already. Or do I go to a private clinic taking my frozen eggs? Now, lots of private clinics are reprioritizing their, uh, their patients. So some are saying that they will service uh, people of advanced age well, there's <laughs> never a nice way of saying that, but you know, um, women yeah. who are a little bit older.
0: I'm guessing um, we don't fall into that category.
1: No, we don't. Okay. So I'm I'm 35, soon to be 36. So I would imagine it's women above 42. Okay, I, I could be wrong, um, and also women of um, advanced ovarian diminished ovarian reserve. Okay, makes sense. Other other clinics are prioritizing fat over IVF.
0: Sorry, just to explain though, FET is frozen egg transfer.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, frozen egg transfer and then IVF would be where you have your eggs collected and then they're put in fresh. Uh, some, some other clinics are prioritizing it in a different way and they are pr- prioritizing IVF over FET. Um, so really, I think there are a couple of things that I've learned. I was really lucky to have a lot of people respond to that post. Um, some privately DM'd me and said um, they had spoken to the clinic that I hadn't been able to get through to, um, and they had asked for timelines, uh, they had asked for um, how long it would take to move frozen eggs, they had asked um, what or who the clinic is prioritizing in the queue. Um, And all these things, I think, all these questions can really help um, you to understand. Uh, a little bit better about your options and your opportunities. So really worth considering what are the questions that you want to ask your clinic and make sure that you have a timeline from them in terms of reopening and whether they're applying.
0: Yeah and just to add Tash, the forum that you used it's called Health Unlocked right?
1: Yeah Health Unlocked has been really uh, fantastic uh, i've been on it for a while i know i've actually discovered you on there actually, <laughs> have you <laughs> yeah yeah i Come can on. tell who you are and <laughs> um, it's a great place to ask all those tricky questions um that you might not feel like you can ask anyone else
0: yeah that's really good um so just to explain how that uh, announcement impacted on me uh I actually had an appointment bonkersly for the last maybe three months for the 11th of May. So I thought when the clinics were reopening, I thought, you never know if it opens on the 11th, uh, my my appointment may still stand. So I emailed my clinic and got no response. So I rang them and I was told by the person on reception that unless I heard otherwise, my appointment was going ahead. But I couldn't think of anything else. Um, I couldn't get it off my mind, so I convinced Alex to call them as well. <laughs> and when he did, um, the person on reception told him our our that our appointment was cancelled and he didn't know why so classic
1: classic two prompt approach there I like it
0: classic yeah so later that day this was all the same day I got a phone call from someone in what's called like the genetics department to arrange my genetic counseling um which I didn't think I need and I explained to her that I didn't need it because I am not a CF gene carrier so, uh, she rang me back to say, "You do need it um because Alex is, so we've got a counseling session on Tuesday. Is that do you feel like that's a positive thing or is it? As my sister said to me, I kind of need. <laughs> I need cancelling for like cancelled appointments. Um, I'm glad to do it. I think it's one of those tick box things you that you have to do to advance to the next, le- next level. Yeah, I don't mind doing it. If we have to do it, I'm happy to. And I'm sure it will be helpful. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm glad something is happening. And we can actually do it without going to the hospital. We're doing it as a Zoom or a Skype. So I think that's good too.
1: That's great. And did they give you any any indication of when your appointment for your facility appointment will start up again
0: no so our consultant is usually quite clear and she just said look we're working on figuring out how everything's going to be prioritized but you're on the list and we will be in touch so I feel at bay
1: okay great <laughs> it's great that they rang you I haven't had any call from my clinic at all at all
0: yeah and I think I think the point I'm trying to make about what happened to me on Monday was there seems to be no clear approach even from within the same clinic. So, and and we know we can tell from being on that forum too that everyone seems to have a different approach. So, that can be quite scary, I think, when you feel like maybe other clinics are advancing and yours is not, or people within your clinic are advancing and you're not. But I guess we just have to be patient and be calm. Yes,
1: but continue continue to manage your own case. Totally. Hound them. Hound (laughs) them. today's podcast is going to be focusing on men we really so rarely hear fertility discussed when it comes to men and hear from that male point of view so um i'm really excited to listen to your part your episode where you're going to be talking with your husband husband alex about your challenges um how was it filming that uh, recording that for you yeah it was it was
0: good uh we spoke about it at length for about a week to talk about what he wanted to say and you know he felt he's really happy for me to do a podcast but he feels quite differently to me about quite a few things which is actually a little bit infuriating so (laughs) you know he feels so positive and he really trusts people and uh, I'll let him speak for himself but I suppose we had to formalize it because you have to formalize an interview and uh, I think actually it made us discuss loads of things that are offline that was great. which I think was good yeah yeah it was a good thing to do yeah. um,
1: and so I talked to a friend of mine called Dan and he and his wife have gone through four rounds of IVF they now have twins and um, there were lots of bumps along the way so we're going to be talking to Dan. Um, but what, what's really interesting about this is obviously my partner, Tom, didn't want to uh, come on the podcast. And he I don't think he just, he doesn't feel ready to talk about a lot of this stuff, at least publicly. And it was really interesting to talk to Dan because I was a little bit upset about that, I think. But when I was talking to Dan, he said to me, I don't know how you were doing this. You know, I don't know how you're doing a podcast whilst you're going through, process because for many people it's just too painful and he said you know for me it was it was quite painful talking about it whilst going through it and I think that gave me a little bit of perspective um and which is what we're trying to achieve really with this podcast is trying to get a bit of perspective on that male point of view um so that that really made me feel like you know I felt a little bit more um, at ease with, with that. And I think that um, I, one of my favourite memories of, of going through IVF in that egg collection process was when Tom uh, decided to sand down all the worktops in our kitchen.
0: <laughs> I don't think the word favourite should be used here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, well, it was because um, it was the week before my egg collection and he decided that he would Sand down these worktops without the proper equipment, and knowing I'm allergic to dust, and also knowing that you have to cook and eat well before your air collection. Um, So he didn't have the right tools to do it, and there was dust everywhere on top of feeling really bloated I had streaming eyes I couldn't sleep my nose was all bunged up and um, I wasn't I was eating takeout every day and I was so grumpy with him and I wrote a post on Health Unlocked and um, just <laughs> just asking why he decided to do it at this point in time um it was Uh, You know what, we were really trending for a while there Um, and I was so grumpy, but we laughed. I showed him the post and we, we laughed so much because I think with Thomas, he really shows his affection through doing things for you. And I think looking back at it, I was so grumpy with him, but he wanted to do something in that moment to perhaps deal with what we were going through and also maybe even for me so it's great to get the male perspectives you don't always have it whilst you're going through it. It's his
0: love language Tash. It is, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay so shall we go straight into the interviews and um, so before we start just to say our dog Ginny was uh, barking a little bit in the background so if you hear that
1: <laughs> that's what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I think she should come on the podcast one day, honey.
0: Oh, definitely. You'll you'll probably find her on the Instagram page uh, with, you know, within days. (laughs) (laughs) So Alex is going to talk about uh, his uh, diagnosis and how he felt around it. For anyone who wants to hear more about the technicalities and ins and outs of the, where we got to, I would listen to episode one because we won't really go into that in massive detail. Hi Alex, thanks for coming along.
2: Hello, <laughs> I'm ready for this, I think.
0: Good. Uh, so you have obstructive azuspermia. Uh you got your diagnosis in September of 2019. Uh, how did it feel when you first got your diagnosis?
2: Obviously as anyone can imagine it was pretty awful. Um, so we found out because I had a test um, done privately and then I got a phone call one day and the woman was actually had a very good bedside manner but she was just like look it's not good news we didn't find anything and I mean I wasn't prepared for that I think any guy when you've been trying for a while and you start to think about this you could maybe think that your lifestyle has maybe impacted anything that you might you know Maybe you might be some motility issues or something might be up that you might have to just kind of go and eat some vegetables and live a very healthy life for a month or so. But when you get the news that there's nothing in there, it's just, yeah, I don't know, it was just alarming. It's a real punch in the stomach. Uh, I probably t- t- takes, a- t- takes a while to get your head around it and probably didn't really get my head around it. I just think I just went blank, really, for <laughs> for the immediate future. And then I think it's very shortly after that that you were unfortunately off on a girl's holiday for a few days. So it's just me and me and Ginny, our little dog, at home. And yeah, I guess I felt quite lonely, really. And I remember walking around Crystal Palace Park, walking the dog, a bit like a zombie. Yeah, I guess, so, you know, it's just that feeling of anxiety, really, and just not really knowing what you're supposed to do next. Um, and obviously a big part of it is letting the side down. So yeah, it was tough. It was really tough. But it does... You know, time heals, and I think information heals.
0: Yeah, I think that when we first got that diagnosis, neither one of us had ever even heard of azuspermia, so we didn't really know. And just for any listeners, I think, Alex, you know, you've just described a really difficult time for you, but on the face of it, you were really, um, held it together, and you were really, I mean, I think you consoled me more than I (laughs) consult you.
2: Yeah. Well I mean that's that's the case, isn't it? Like um you're 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 effectively the person that's stopping us being able to achieve something. So that's the hardest thing to take. But you were incredibly good about it. Um I don't know what I mean, you know, well probably I was um a little bit worried that you might really hold that against me. <laughs> Not that you would as a character. No. But I was worried that, you know, yeah, it might just set us off down a path that was pretty negative. But you were incredibly supportive and then we just took it on together. But yeah, it's just that it's a feeling of frustration because you basically get the first piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And it doesn't really mean anything. Really, the, the advice on the phone is like, right, that's all I can tell you. I'm only qualified to tell you this. Now I have to refer you to a urologist and you have to have many tests and we'll go from there. So it's just the first part of a long process where you see someone in a couple of weeks and then you wait about three more weeks and you go back and see them again. Um, And obviously we decided to do all that side of things privately because we just thought, let's get the information as quick as possible. That process on the NHS, you're probably looking at like a month to two months to three months in between every single increment. Whereas privately, at least we were able to just Go see someone the week afterwards. Uh, you wait for the blood test to get done. You can't speed those up. Felt like we were doing good work getting to the getting to the root cause.
0: So how do you feel now? <clears throat> now you have a much clearer picture. I do remember when uh, you first got your diagnosis. The woman on the phone told you this may not be the end of your path, which is actually kind of a bonkers thing to say.
2: Yeah, that's brutal thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, or maybe that's the thing to touch upon. People trying to be nice to you uh often say things that are really <laughs> brutal by mistake but yeah and that's just you know that's just that's just how it is in life right um people trying to be nice and kind of boy you up but it, sometimes they kick you in the ass again but yeah um how i feel now is i mean we've come so far and full circle and now i know as you said in the last episode that i have almost the direct opposite to what i hadn't thought i had in the first place i still have you know i still have the diagnosis of but it's it's obstructive, so where the first guy who was, I think, we complete a total shyster, and we won't mention <laughs> names,
0: a qualified professional, a qualified actually.
2: shyster. He, yes. for whatever reason, thought it was a non-obstructive, and he goes, like, "I just can't, I can't figure out why, why, um, why, you're, why you're getting a complete negative test result." And you're like, "Right, okay, thanks." Um, whereas our my consultant on NHS isn't he's been a real hero and has absolutely nailed it first time I saw him he examined me way more thoroughly too thoroughly no <laughs> um and was like look the reason why I've basically been feeling around down there for six minutes is because I can't find this piece of your anatomy like deep in there um and I think that's the reason and all these and he literally drew me a picture from scratch on a blank piece of paper of the sort of male anatomy, and labelled it with all the test results I'd got that I had no idea what they really meant. Obviously, we Googled stuff, but he was like, this level, which is absolutely normal, means this, and that's why it's obstructive, and this is this, and this is this. And he just made it, not only did he speak in layman's terms, he just made a 99% case why it was so obvious to be obstructive. And the last piece of the jigsaw then was to go and have an MRI improve it, which we did do. And we approved it, so now I, our whole route has changed. I mean, there's no chance of ever having a child naturally, but we'd already given up on that. But um,
0: well, we'd already, I would say, rather than given up on that, accepted that.
2: Accepted that would be the way, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, like your goalposts change all the time. Your 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 sort of your acceptance of things changes all the time. Um,
0: and coming on to acceptance, what? did you find were the hard parts of this
2: well obviously the finding out then probably you know like we've been married a couple of years but we're very different people obviously and um I mean you, you've obviously been very emotional Were well, you taking the news emotionally as as you know any normal human being would do um and whether it's been whether it's been bad news or curveballs or delays or just you know just having those inevitable moments where you find out on nhs you might have to wait for three months for something that's that's been quite hard to watch you go through that and i've had to try and buoy you up um because i guess i come from the slightly more hardened logical approach and slightly positive idea that these consultants will get us there in the end Um we just have to trust them and you just have to be patient but um, it's really hard trying to, or someone to be patient, <laughs> especially when in an emotional state. So yes, it is. <laughs> uh, so they, they, those those have been the tougher times. Um, and what
0: about the lighter moments? We've had some, we've had some really funny moments.
2: Oh God! I mean, you can't go through this without a sense of humour. Um, and I think you can't go through this without some weird moments. I mean, obviously, I'd never even seen a consultant before. Before I saw our first urologist, we both went along together. And yeah, it's just weird, you know, as a man cuts your genitals and you look over his shoulder and see your wife kind of <laughs> giving you a wry smile, uh, a wry smile uh, when, you know, you're in this kind sort of like horrendous situation. <laughs> um, the weirdest moment was uh, the kind of more, one of the more depressing moments was when I had to do. To go for for the NHS, for them to even um, move this forward, you have to do um, like a semen sample with them as well. So we had my appointment for the NHS, which was three months after we got referred for it, Mm -hmm. which gives you an idea of the waiting times involved. Uh, We went down to, uh, I probably can't name the hospital, but we went down to like a hospital that was effectively a hellhole. (laughs) It it was was, was somewhere between a horror film and a prison film. (laughs) And we went into sort of like cell block H, into a room, wires hanging out the ceiling, pipes everywhere. And there was nothing in this room apart from like an old wooden sort of chest of drawers which had the equipment in. And like nothing else. And the only real thing to look at were three pictures of different animals on the wall. And I have no idea why would you put three animals on the wall of a room where Effectively, you have to give a Seaman sample. I'm not sure what they (laughs) thought I was into.
0: So uh, one other question is, you have been really impressed with the NHS. We've, uh, as we've mentioned a few occasions, we've gone from public to private and switched back between the two. I think you are an NHS champion, really, aren't you?
2: (laughs) I just, yeah. um, You can't avoid the waiting times, right? That is unavoidable. But at the same time, um we've got two doctors, a uh, female doctor and a uh, male doctor. The um our fertility doctor. Um, she's just amazing. She's really calm and um has time for you. Um and she's just a really good calming influence and very knowledgeable. And then she obviously um referred me to their consultant neurologist who does private work at NHS. So I actually saw him privately to avoid a lengthy wait. And he's the guy that absolutely nailed the new, you know, the, well, he found out what he was mm. after like nine months of not knowing. And not only did he do that, he had a great bedside manner. Like, again, if you can kind of have a joke with someone who's holding on to your bits for six minutes, that's a good, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a win. And I think um, the combination of the two, although we've never seen him in the same room together, I kind of feel like we've got like the winning team. Okay. And I have huge confidence in them. So, I mean, there's the quality of is insane, it's brilliant.
0: I think um, that's one difference between you and I. You are really optimistic.
2: Yeah, well, I kind of think you have to be. I think optimism and not to lose your sense of humour and not to get...
0: And, and I have had some sense of humour fails, so I will admit that.
2: Yeah, but only for <laughs> a matter of, like, hours, I would say. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, like, the interesting... Well, I suppose the interesting thing is... Um, talking about maybe your slight lack of patience but like who wouldn't be impatient in this process and
0: i just for clarity um you're being too kind my slight lack of patience is um i have absolutely no patience for waiting especially with this procedure with all of this <laughs> <laughs> one final question it do you have any advice for someone who might get diagnosed with azospermia or any form of um, sperm issue and um, what would you say to them
2: I think it's a really hard thing to take. Um, you have to be able to just try and process it. And I don't think it, people rushing you to process it isn't helpful. So just take your time and get your head around it. I think it's good to talk to your friends. I talked to my friends about it quite early on, probably after a couple of weeks. And I was comfortable to do so. And that really helps just to kind of get it off your chest and like there's just there's just so many curveballs hopefully for some some people they won't be and it will just be really obvious what the problem is and they can get to the solution but when you get a curveball like for every down there's generally an up i think you just have to stick with it and be positive and keep asking questions
0: okay thanks so much thanks
1: today with dan bunting um dan you have been uh, on your infertility journey with um it's similar to the rest of us um now you said that you've been uh, through about around four rounds of ivf before you and your wife conceived so that's a that's a pretty long journey
3: yeah,
1: um tell me a little bit about how you met your wife let's start right at the beginning
3: right well she is american uh and she was over in england on holiday in 2011 and we met through that basically uh we were both sort of internet dating at the time and uh, she kind of put her profile to london just to beat people and we met up for what wasn't <laughs> really a date because um it, it was she was only here for a few days uh got on well carried on staying in contact I went over to America. She came over here, and then she moved over here. That six months later, and we got married a year or so after that.
1: Oh, it's like a lovely whirlwind romance. <laughs> yes, I've
3: got got a great history. I think of being, or I don't think people would see me particularly as being a great romantic. But that was a kind of uh, out of character romantic story for me. There.
1: <laughs> so tell us a little bit about when you first started trying to conceive.
3: Uh we got married in august twenty thirteen uh, I was thirty five uh, thirty six and she was thirty one at that point point. and so we hadn't really thought that there'd ever be any problem about it and we started trying to conceive sort of effectively straight away so september twenty thirteen and it never happened so the month would go by and it wouldn't we weren't trying particularly hard it wasn't at the start we weren't sort of tracking ovulation cycles or anything like that although over time began to do more of that and began to look at that in a bit more detail but then sort of six months came and went and nothing happened nine months in a year uh, and after just over a year i think we went to see the doctor about it and the that led to a referral to the uh to, to barts which we went to uh that would have been about 15 probably 15 months after we started uh, when we Got there for the consultation, uh, we got diagnosed with diminished ovarian reserve, so a high FSH, low AMH, mm-hmm. uh, low follicle count. And because we'd been going for a year and because of that diagnosis, we could go straight to IVF, or so we thought. So mm-hmm. that was lined up, but my wife had a cyst, uh, which meant we couldn't do it. Um, <clears throat> so that had to be removed a couple of months later uh, through surgery. And then there's a few months recovering from that. So we, then we had our first cycle. Which would have been, I think, probably eight to eighteen months by that point, or more, after we first started trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, got three eggs, got three embryos, uh, two transferred in after three days, uh, but that didn't work at all. The day before the, well, I we had the two-week wait, and the day before the test, my wife started ovulating, and uh, we knew that that hadn't worked. Uh, There's a gap then for a few months for the second one. Um, tried a different stimulation method, gentle, uh, gentle stimulation. Got eight eggs, seven embryos, uh put one in at five days and froze the other one. They were both good good ones, uh, and that was a chemical pregnancy, so a positive test um. a few days of blood tests and um kinda of, yeah hope against hope uh that something may may come out of it, but it didn't and that that um went away. We then had a quite a long break. my wife had switched jobs and started with that and, and everything else and um, the next one I think would have been probably two and a half years after we first started that was um, unfortunately we ovulated before the sort of trigger shot Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was a cancelled failed cycle cancelled cycle effectively although it didn't count as a an IVF cycle which is good Uh, there's also at that point another cyst which uh, my wife had and the best way they they said to to get rid of it was to go on a contraceptive pill which was pretty bleak moment where you come out you go in all excited about the IVF thinking that this might be the one uh find out that you've already ovulated and that <laughs> missed the d- deadline and then find that there's a cyst and find that the only thing you can do for it is to go on the on the pill for a few months um which is not when it feels
1: very like awkward doesn't it
3: yeah and, <laughs> uh, very much so and then we had the fourth cycle which was oh, a month or so after that it wasn't too long a to wait which is good got four mm-hmm. eggs uh three embryos and we went along on day three to go and transfer them in but they called us in the morning just as we were on our way in and say oh don't come in because they're all going really well should all make it to day five as russia so come back in then uh, we went in on day five uh at that point it didn't look so good they said they'd actually stopped kind of growing or stopped they weren't looking as good as they Thought mm-hmm. they were before, none were blastocysts, they were ungradable, and so um, they were, and I've got quite a vivid memory of this, they were putting in one, and the doctor said, well actually they're not good quality, so we'll put in two, and did that, um, and both stuck, and both carried to term, so we sort of finished the, I suppose we finished the infertility journey to the step, we finished it in, in November 2016, although it sort of still feels very much part of my life, but um We ended it with a success story, I guess, four and a half years after we started, three and a half years after we started, which feels a horrendous amount of time, but I think compared to many people, we're quite lucky.
1: Obviously, you had many stages to your journey. You talked a lot about um, cancelled cycles. You talked a lot about um, finding cysts and having to wait. Mm. What was that waiting like? And and how do you have any tips on how to endure that weight, especially during this time, this COVID era?
3: I mean, waiting is just the is just the horrib- one of the horrible parts of IVF and that feeling. And I think I feel I'm someone who, when there is a problem, I want to solve it. And when there's a problem, I want to solve it mm-hmm. now and start working on it now, even if we don't do it. So at least trying to do something. And the idea of saying someone saying, right, you now just have to wait for two months, you have to wait, or whatever it might be, I find quite difficult. And so the cancel cycle was hard and all of that. was very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. There's not much you can do. And I I think the problem is everyone deals with it differently. If you both, you know, if you're in a couple and you both deal with it the same way, then that's probably good. But I think that's quite rare. I tried tend to compartmentalize. So I would shut it off, go to work, not think about it at all, not let myself think about it until I was in a sort of safe space, if you like, where Mm -hmm. I could sort of think and process and digest it and that's the way I dealt with it which is sort of by controlled release when mm-hmm. I felt able to rather than yeah. otherwise it would just be overwhelming the whole time.
1: At the moment we are in this time when a lot of people are unsure about when clinics going to reopen where they're going to be able to get back on the waiting lists um, communication is key but it can be really hard when you're coming at it from different approaches yeah. knowing how you reacted and and how you communicated are there any tips that can help some of those communication issues
3: <laughs> I, i'm not a counselor i'm not you know I'm not am not, not a psychologist i've got no expertise in it it's difficult because you know i don't you don't want to have two gendered uh, view on it and obviously i appreciate mm-hmm. a lot of people going through ivf are same sex couples or people doing it on their own um but when yeah. you have that sort of Stereotypical one man, one woman. I think you end up, I mean, I think there is sort of differences in the way that people deal with it. I think I found um, I'm talking about it, I think is the only thing mm-hmm. you can do, which is easier said than done because you've got to find the time to talk about it and the space to talk about it and be in the right frame of mind to talk about it. And I think different people have different reactions. Some people, mm-hmm. you know, want to talk about it, sit down, make time in advance. Some people just want to talk about it there and then. And I think my sort of preference which is you know for whatever reason i kind of talked myself a lot about it and processed a lot of it internally in my head Mm um i wanted to talk about it as well but i i think again my approach to it uh, i think was very much as a problem solving approach which isn't always the best way for other people to deal with it and that can be difficult I think because I want to look sit mm-hmm. down I want to look at the the numbers what the numbers statistics say about yeah. the chances of success and all of that approach that way of approaching it which I find helped me a lot to calm mm-hmm. me down to kind of stop me catastrophizing or stop me getting overwhelmed with the thoughts that yeah. were lurking there like what if this doesn't work eventually um because <clears throat>
1: I'm I a little bit more of a that scientific approach yes really looking at what can you can you control what can you know what, yeah. what feels real
3: yeah and that's it i think that yeah infertility is a big loss of control as illness often mm-hmm. but it's that feeling of like I, I, without that control i want to try and bring some control back to my life and the way that that worked for me was to try to as i rationalize it you know i had lots and lots of bits of paper where i was working out different numbers uh i thought Quite a lot about the, the kind of the thing about twins and why people didn't why they didn't put back two embryos. I never quite understood mm. why it was you wouldn't put back two. I sort of think I understand, but you know, it's all of that. Where talking about it and reading some papers, someone emailed me about it, uh, just uh, working through the numbers really helped me help calm me down, and mm. it took my mind off that big overarching question of what if it doesn't work, and allowed mm. me to focus on the minutiae of it which Mm -hmm. really worked but doesn't for lots of people and I think if you're someone who that doesn't work for that can be quite frustrating where you've got someone who's focusing on these things and not really looking at the bigger picture
1: yeah and Dan what was the hardest part of that journey for you I know it's difficult to to pinpoint but what, what really was quite unexpectedly sad or made you grieve
3: I think the hardest moment was the failed cycle and that feeling mm-hmm. of, of going on the pill, of ju- and just the absurdity of a couple who are trying to get pregnant, and the thing that you need to do to get pregnant is to go on the pill for a, yeah. yeah a couple of months. And I think that was just a feeling of complete being kicked in the teeth and just feeling so down about the whole process. And you thought as well, this is like the third time we've done it, although it's set yeah. We'd had two cycles and you think well why hasn't it worked by now and leaving yourself open to that question of, of you know what if it doesn't work mm-hmm. and I think that was that feeling of like oh yeah we the first one didn't work second one didn't work but we got somewhere and I sort of felt at that point you know you knew that it it worked even though it worked for a few days mm-hmm. and it was never going to work full time but you sort of felt well we got somewhere and then it just felt like mm-hmm. going backwards
1: of course. And um, d- during that experience, did you have anyone to speak to? Were you talking to anyone?
3: Uh, I think it's probably two different questions. There's plenty of people I could have spoken to, not many mm. that I did. And I think that's part of that. Again, maybe a masculine thing. I think you know, maybe women are more are better at t- talking about it. I did speak to a few people. but um, So the guy was my best man. Uh, I spoke to my parents about it. Um, but that was it, I think. Um, it was quite hard to... I found it yeah, it's quite mm-hmm. hard to talk to people about it, and it's something afterwards. I've talked to a lot of people about it, <coughs> and I'm quite open and happy to talk about it now. As I'm happy to talk about it to you, but at the time going through it, I found it very difficult. Uh, we did have a as a counsellor that came with the the IVF, and that was a, that was I found that really helpful. Uh, and I would I mean, think one thing that everyone should do is well, I'm everyone should do anyway, but certainly if you're going through IVF, you should have a counsellor to help process it. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I would say it's probably good to have counselling at t- the two of you, and also on your own as well. We didn't do that, but I think that's probably quite helpful. To if you want, to, if you've got the time and the you NHS know, provider in your area, I think that's quite helpful to to, to have an outlet. Mm-hmm. But again, some people are better at talking about it. And since then, I've spoken to friends who are well, have started going through it, uh, and I think because I've spoken to them before and they know that I've been through it, it's easier to talk about it. But one one problem yeah. I think is the lack of maybe the lack of openness. I don't know for whatever reason people don't or men in particular don't talk about it as much as we mm-hmm. should do.
1: Yeah, I guess it can be hard to find the outlets, mm. and it's very difficult to start that wave yeah. yourself if you're the first one going out there. It's and, also it's hard for
3: conversation to start because you know not if you've if you've been trying for a month and it hasn't worked you can't just say it hasn't worked for a month because that sounds ridiculous. So, But then after three months or then after six months, yeah, and the answer then is just, well, keep on trying. Uh, but then you sort of get to YVF and then it all gets quite, mm. you know, it gets quite clinical and quite chemical and away from what your kind of common perception of um, pregnancy is.
1: You know, is there anything in the experience, whether that be in the hospitals, in the media, or in, you know... Uh, networks that can be improved to really recognize that male experience a little bit more
3: i think so because it, it's a it's a very different experience obviously mm-hmm. uh but yeah i mean equally it, i think it's it, it's very hard for men in a very in a different way and it's very hard for women as well obviously and, and women are in the front line and dealing with the taking you know the injecting the drugs and all of the horrific stuff in relation to that but i think it's only relatively recently that people have kind of got the head around the fact that men have emotions as well Mm -hmm. and uh, men have feelings in relation to this may not express it the same way but we do have that and we do have kind of sadness and do have Mm -hmm. uh, you know the the pain of it is felt as strongly by many men as it is by women Um, Mm -hmm. and again I think maybe that comes back to the kind of historic culture of men or the historic perception of men as, as being less interested in children and all of that so I think that's gone a long time ago but there's still a residual hang-up to that in uh, society that people sort of think well it's the women that want the babies and the men are just going along with it Well, of course it's not that anymore and it, it's felt yeah, acutely so but true. maybe differently by men
1: well, thank you so much for oh, doing
3: the nice interview to to you
1: and
0: So, as Tasha said at the top of the show thanks so much to everyone who listened and we got a couple of questions and both of our questions come from women called Kate or Katie so you're not restricted to the derivative of the name of Catherine anyone can submit (laughs) Um, so the first question uh, Tash came from Katie and she said uh, you mentioned that your egg quality is only okay can you explain a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, that is something that you're going to hear from so many people, uh, a little bit about air quality. Um, And it really varies and differs from person to person as to what is considered great air quality, really. Um, What they do is they give you uh, a letter, sorry, a number and two letters. And that number, the top number is five, which is uh, considered the best quality. And the lowest number is one. And those t- those two letters that follow then rank from A, I think, to D, and obviously A being the um, top letter. So, if in an ideal world, if you are thinking about having the absolute most beautiful embryo, it would be considered an A, uh, sorry, a five AA, and then you would go a step further from there, so five AB, five BA. 5BB, uh, so on, so on. Um, So the difficult thing is, is that the way that they rate these other grade embryos is they look at how they're developing. Um, So that means how they are um, splitting cells and how those cells are growing. And then I believe that the number is related to... um, what becomes the umbilical cord so it's the outer side of uh, if you imagine an embryo in a circle it's that kind of outer um crust I suppose and then you have two parts in the middle and I think one is to do with the liquid or the sac and then one is to do with the actual mass that would form you know the bones the tissues etc um I think that grading can be a little bit misleading. And the reason I say that is you'll find on forums, lots of people talk about having 5AAs that um, don't stick, 5AAs that do stick. And then lots of people will say that they perhaps went in with a 3CC and, and and those stuck. Um, you'll have heard from Dan today where the doctor didn't think that the eggs that they were putting back were you know, good quality enough. Um, and they put two in just in case. Uh, they weren't developing that morning before they put them back in. And then they ended up t- with twins that they carried to full term. So, you know, it's um, I think grading can be a little bit misleading. So when I say my egg quality is OK, um, my eggs were four BB um, and the consultant said that they are top quality. So um, who knows? But I think the important thing is not to put too much stock by it. OK, great explanation. Thanks, Tash. I just want to put a caveat on that. It's not a very yeah. scientific explanation <laughs> so I'm just relating what my consultant said at the time Um I'm sure that they dumbed it down a lot for me to be able to understand um so please don't take that as um you know solid scientific explanation
0: yeah I think that's fair enough thanks Tash.
1: AMG um mm-hmm. you have chosen we talked about choosing private versus um, public a lot in the last episode how did you choose your private consultant was one of the questions we received from our listeners
0: so generally I asked people that I knew even if they hadn't had IVF that everyone knows someone who has and I got so many recommendations we're so lucky to live in London it actually was very difficult to make a final decision about who to choose. So Mm -hmm. I put together a spreadsheet of, of all of the people. And again, it was related to cues and lengths of time and obviously cost as well. With Alex's urologist, we actually just took a recommendation from the clinic that he, from where he got his sperm test. So they work in partnership with this urologist and we were happy to just take their recommendation. And given that we had more success with the Private urologist from a personal recommendation, I'd really recommend that. Yeah, basically, I just compiled loads of data and made my decision. So, more than happy to share that with anyone who wants to get in touch with me.
1: So, now it's time to cover off our positive moment of the week. We've already had some great news from the HFEA guidelines saying that we clinics can reopen so I'm not sure how much more positive it gets from another than that but um, uh, let's start with you Annie.
0: Yeah so I scrambled around a little bit because that's obviously my positive moment of the week (laughs) but um, on a personal level uh, I have been trying to buy a mini greenhouse for a really long time and because of coronavirus it's really difficult to get them (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I was walking in a large retailer um Wilco's and came across exactly what I was looking for like honestly online it would take six weeks to order one and I've set it up in my garden and planted my seeds and put them in and every day I check my seeds about 15 times just to see if there's any bit of growth
1: (laughs) this is um, very far removed from our days when we first met 10 years ago isn't it honey
0: yeah and I used um, to always kill my
1: friends <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean I'm not saying that these seeds aren't going to die but uh, they're giving me a lot of uh, they're occupying my mind and giving me a lot of pleasure
1: <laughs> I would say that positive fear of the week 10 years ago probably would have been related much more closely to booze and boys but um, yeah that's true. <laughs> I'm glad that, I'm glad that um, Annie Greenfingers <laughs> and I are still friends <laughs>
0: And Tash, what about you?
1: Um so mine is similarly um health related. Uh it is I I had that huge fibroid taken out um last year, as many lessons have commented on. And fibroid is essentially a um mass, it's like a benign tumour, so it's muscle mass, and so no one knows why it's grown and what it's doing there. Um, and I never really realized that it was affecting me in my life. Um, I knew that I had some digestive issues and I knew that when I went running, it really hurt, but I didn't think about why. I just thought running was really painful. So I've been out jogging and um, I know God, it's such a cliche, uh this week and I really found that has given me some energy I'm not a natural runner I'm very slow don't worry I won't be overtaking you on any pavements or running too closely <laughs> um, but it was great because it didn't hurt and that was a real revelation for me that actually that was probably more directly linked to having a huge fibroid
0: oh it's amazing Tash that's such a positive yeah. thing to happen
1: yeah it's great I might get faster and then you'll see me whizzing <laughs> around,
0: whizzing around. And in tight. the pavements. <laughs> <laughs> for listening to our second episode uh, we'd really like to hear what other topics you'd like us to cover or if you have any questions we'd love to answer them please do get in touch with us on uh, the unplanned at gmail.com and on instagram we're just about to launch there you can reach us on the unplanned with underscores in between each word so thanks so much and see you next week bye